Welcome back to the final episode of the Drop the Mic Music Industry Conversations podcast. In this exclusive bonus content, you'll hear from music industry pros Chris Hovsepian and JJ Corsini. They give us an inside look into the beginnings of Apple Music and the streaming age. They also tell us how they manage superstars on the rise like Gracie Abrams and get them from big dreams to big stages. Thanks for tuning in with us all season. All the episodes you've enjoyed are the product of hard work and dedication of a team of Stanford students who really appreciate your support. One final time for season one, let's get into the conversation. Hey there, so happy you joined us for this episode of the Stanford Music Industry Podcast. I had the privilege of speaking with two music industry powerhouses, and I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. Our two special guests have done it all. They have innovated on the frontiers of the streaming era at Apple Music, where they championed artists like Billie Eilish, Conan Gray, Benny, Khalid, Juice World, and so many more. They've become artist development experts and the heads of the Universal Music Group artist development team. Together, they also manage the lovely Gracie Abrams, the magnificent artist behind the EP Minor. And they are not slowing down anytime soon. I'm so excited for you to meet Chris Hosepian and JJ Corsini. Throughout this episode, we're going to be taking you on the behind the scenes look to see how they got where they are now, what they look for to determine a star in the making, and how they continue to innovate with artists in lockdown. I'm your host, Monica Chen. Let's dive right in. First, I wanted to hear how JJ and Chris began their incredible careers that have brought them to Apple Music and Universal Music Group. Okay, so I'd love to hear about kind of how you got started in the industry. JJ, you can start us off. Sure, I'll start and, and it's a nice segue into meeting Chris and to him giving his story. I started managing my first artist when I was a junior in college. I use the term managing very loosely because I didn't know what I was doing, but that was kind of the whole point. I was always passionate about music and I found an artist that I thought was great and I reached out and before I knew it, I was managing out of my dorm room and that kind of over the, the next few years led to me representing different artists and I really even way back then it was important to me to represent a really diverse group of musicians and the first thing I managed out of my dorm room was a rock band from the UK. The second artist I managed was a folk singer from Wisconsin. Then I managed a songwriter from Atlanta. So I kind of was just trying to get as much experience as I could. And then ultimately, I had a band called Milo Green when I was 21 or 22 that I was managing. And that was really the true beginnings of my career. It allowed me to partner at a real management company. It was a Live Nation company called Vector. It was like my dream. They managed Kings of Leon. And then that was like my favorite band in the world. And I couldn't believe that their managers wanted me to come work for them. So I went there, managed a bunch of artists over the course of five or six years had a radio show, a music discovery show on the alternative station here in LA. And really that was just, again, in the spirit of trying to, to learn as much as I could about the industry. And then the whole beginnings of my career was kind of 
changed when I got a phone call and, and it was asked to go to Apple. And it was very secret at the time and streaming wasn't even necessarily a thing. Of course, Spotify had a, a decent head start on Apple Music. But when I got there, it was called iTunes and the job was to, to be a part of the team to help launch Apple Music. And that's where I met Chris and we formed our partnership and it, it revolved around music, programming, shows on Beats One, artist relations, and then Up Next, which is, is Apple Music's global new artist program that Chris and I helped create and launch. Yeah, and a bit of my background, I mean, I got super lucky early just after I graduated from USC. I was introduced to a guy named Brian Frank, who was leading a secret startup out of Beats by Dre that was codenamed Daisy at that point. And I met him and was just blown away by what the prospect of the convergence of music and, and tech was. Um, and I wanted to do anything to be a part of it. So I convinced him to just give me an internship there and just get me in the door. And I told him I'll do whatever, whatever it takes, whatever there's a spot for. And it was really just five of us at that point in 2012 and it was a company led by Jimmy Iovine and, and Trent Reznor and a few others. And, and we were building what was Beats Music at that point. And it was one of those things where, like JJ said at that time, and even before that, it was, you know, streaming isn't really a thing yet, but trust us, it, it one day will be. And we had a pretty special environment there of just music lovers that wanted to just build a platform based off our, our passion for artists and the people around the world that should hear them. And we did that for a few years out of the Beats by Dre offices and ultimately were bought by Apple. And we all transitioned into building sort of the new face of what iTunes and music at a company like Apple looked like. Well, it certainly has gone well since they formed their dream team at Apple Music. They executed as key members of the global artist team. They created Apple Music's Up Next program, which identified, spotlighted, and elevated one rising star each month. Apple Music promotes that artist and helps them grow their global fan bases with a mini documentary series, interviews, playlists, and live performances. Past Up Next alums include superstars Billie Eilish, Khalid, and Daniel Caesar. Apple Music's Up Next artist is still a coveted spot for up-and-coming artists, with Sensational, Conan Gray, Claro, and Megan Thee Stallion filling up spots in the last year. I wanted to ask them about the creation of Up Next. Chris, can you share what it was like building the Up Next program at Apple Music? I think we built something that was rooted in artists that went against the grain, and weren't always the most obvious, but would make a real impact on the legacy of music long term. And, and those were constantly the ones that JJ and I and others obviously there would uh, make sure we were stood next to. And those were the Billie Eilish's of the world and, and the Khalid's of the world. And that definitely set the tone for our, our philosophy for our careers together was finding those artists that we needed to scream about and doing everything we possibly could, whether it was a part of our job or not, to make sure they got the shot that they deserved to make an impact. And really for us, the through line there always was just surrounding ourselves by great art that sometimes would kind of slip between genre gaps as we were starting to see in the beginning of streaming at Apple Music and at Spotify. 
there were artists that didn't necessarily identify with genre that we felt were great, but that, that had a harder time being embraced by like a playlist ecosystem. And of course that's five or six years ago now and things have significantly evolved. But that was really the beginning for Chris and I together and, and believing in each other. And ultimately we left to start a global artist development department at, at Universal to manage Gracie and to do everything that we've been doing for the last year. Their amazing track record for finding and guiding artists before they became superstars, I had to ask them the golden question. What kind of things do you look for to determine if someone's the next big thing? Good question. I think it's a great question and honestly I think it's really hard to give a real answer to it because for us so much of what we do is just based on trusting our gut and Chris and I come from different musical backgrounds. And I think what makes our relationship together really special is there's a lot of stuff Chris loves that I never was brought up on that I like to hear his take on and learn from him and vice versa. But when there are those artists that are right in our sweet spot, that's really meaningful to both of us when there's something that's immediate to each of us, given how different our musical, not, not taste, because we've actually pretty similar taste, but more so just upbringing. But in general, finding things that we work on in, in some capacity, whether it's through our artist development department or management or label or whatever now, it truly is really based first and foremost on our instinct and our, our thoughts on the person. And of course, the music has to drive it. But we're more interested in finding superstar human beings than we are finding hit songs, so to speak. We just believe that when you find the artist that has the vision and the talent, the songs will come if they're not there already. And those are the kinds of artists that we want to have patience with and we want to encourage the music industry at large to really treat those sorts of special potential career artists slightly differently than we treat things that are maybe just of the moment. Chris, anything to add about what makes a star? Yeah, I mean, the beauty of, of our time at Apple is we got to meet with so many great artists and, and we were meeting with artists and their teams constantly throughout our day and throughout our five plus years there. And, you know, that process and listening to so much music and constantly being surrounded by it at the center of it allowed us to sharpen our teeth in that way and really fine tune just what that gut feeling was and what that sort of rare thing you can't put a finger on was when an artist walks in a room and sort of not to be cliche but sucks the air out of the room a bit and that doesn't necessarily look and feel the same way I think it used to before there used to be a bit of an archetype on what a pop star or superstar was and now I think there's just so many different varieties of what that can be and from our time there from Billy walking into the room when she was 13 years old and still having a presence even though she was so young and the list goes on I think we were able to start to define that philosophy of it's about the person first and the music follows that and the way they have a vision to really package all that together and create a brand that fans can buy into not just purely because of the music that they make just because of what they are about. That's the foundation of just what artists that we stand next to now is they have just an innate ability to understand all touch points, whether it's their Instagram or their music or just something that they're passionate about. 
socially or as, as a hobby, they're clear about those things and they know most importantly who they're speaking to and who their audience is and they lean on that. And I think that always ends up being the North Star that we try to really clearly define with them and then ultimately just get out of the way as much as possible just to make sure they can keep marching towards that. Currently, Chris and JJ are Senior Vice Presidents of Artist Development at Universal Music Group and managers of Gracie Abrams. They are known for their innovative strategies, commitment to artist development, expertise in music programming, non-traditional marketing, and experience with global streaming platforms. Since they're in charge of forming long-term strategies to guide Universal's impressive artist roster, I wanted to hear their take on artist development. How do you look at the process of artist development? So much of this, like Chris said, is about us encouraging artists to be the best version of themselves. I think it is a little bit corny, but it's so true that authenticity is the most important thing that artists have right now. And when you're trying to be something you're not, it's just people can see right through it so quickly now. And I think some of our favorite artists in the world, new artists and some that are established, are artists that for better, for worse, just believe in themselves and aren't trying to be something they're not and understand their strengths and weaknesses. And so for us, it's really about encouraging artists, Gracie included, to really have that kind of belief and that strength in their voice to do what they want to do. It's a funny balance because there are so many times where artists will say, what do you guys think? And so often we respond with a question, what do you think? The balance comes in because it's our job to tell artists what we think, you know? So of course we need to be recommending and advising and, and creating strategy around an artist's vision. And so of course our opinion is why we're present, but also I think it's always important to let their opinion lead and guide. Honestly, we learn as much from artists as much as they do from us when they're really controlling their own destiny and in charge of how the world sees them and how they're presented and how their careers start to flow. Because like Chris said, whether it's an artist that's really savvy from a digital marketing perspective or from a creative direction and visual perspective, like all of the great artists these days seem to have something that they're also good at beyond writing songs, you know, and that's just so invaluable and for us it's really important to find those kinds of artists and, and ones that understand exactly what they're doing and just need the help executing it on a global level. Chris any thoughts? You can't manufacture the superstar anymore it just doesn't work fans are too smart and they're, they pay too much attention to the detail to let that happen and I think the best artists now put the blinders on and just fully trust their gut and and what they feel like is right and cool to them you know, that definition of cool, I was reading an article about the other day. It's like, it's just completely changed and so subjective just to what you believe the definition of that word is for yourself. And I think that's so important now to be an individual, you know, because there's never like, you know, a lack of space for that. So, you know, I think for us, we want to make sure that our artists always have a deeper understanding of the business of music so that they can take that in and make sure they have that context as they're making bigger creative decisions and how those decisions could obviously be optimized and just you know that much greater. But yeah, it's a bit of the secret sauce sometimes is just making sure that we're standing next to those artists that just have it and believe it and, and see it.
and we can just ultimately provide those resources to go execute on all those things and in that bigger picture vision every day. Not just VPs at Universal, Chris and JJ are managers of Gracie Abrams. The singer-songwriter has been building a following on Instagram for years by posting sneak peeks of music and becoming a streaming sensation over the last few months when she released highly anticipated singles into the world. In a matter of months, Gracie garnered 2 million Spotify monthly listeners and became a playlist regular. I am a huge fan as well, if you can't tell. This summer, she released her debut EP, Minor. Since Chris and JJ are known for being innovators and strategists, I wanted to know the reasoning behind some of their decisions as Gracie Abrams' manager. Specifically, I wanted to ask about touring. Gracie had her first tour date scheduled and sold out, but then the world went into lockdown. So Gracie's first EP minor debuted in quarantine, and along came her virtual Zoom tour, the Minor Bedroom Shows. Fans could enter into a raffle if they lived in LA, New York City, Berlin, Sydney, London, or Chicago to get access to the 100-person performance in their city. You guys are talking about like these innovative strategies with the artists, and I'd love to hear about just the reasoning behind the minor bedroom shows. The bedroom shows, I mean, truthfully, those were a product of obviously quarantine and building an artist at such a crucial point in her career when she wasn't able to go and slap high fives and give hugs and take selfies around the world with her fans. And obviously, since you're a fan of Gracie, you understand like her relationship with her fans is the most important thing in the world. And so for us, and credit where credit is due, this was a great idea that Interscope brought to us. And we ended up just shaping it a little bit differently with Gracie to make it feel the most like her. The biggest thing that we knew we needed to accomplish during quarantine was finding a way to have deeper, more intimate connections between Gracie and her fans. And also to be very specific about who the fans are and not just tweeting or putting something on Instagram that is for the world of Gracie. She has such incredible fans in in very specific places of the world and parts of Southeast Asia and Australia and in Germany. And we're starting to see all these really interesting markets pop up as being really strong for Gracie. And so for her, it was really important to make sure that she could talk to those fans and that they could have an experience together to replace her playing the traditional first show in Berlin, which now is probably not going to happen for however long, 12 months. But that was the very easy answer on the minor bedroom shows was moments to create more intimacy. And like, you could easily frame it that it was for the fans to feel Gracie, but it was just as much for Gracie to feel her fans. Any opportunity she can get to speak to them, whether it's a DM or responding to a tweet or sending her newsletter or however she can do it, she's obsessed with finding new ways to talk to people. Yeah. And it was important that it just didn't feel too high production and too dolled up. And at at this time, it's like quarantine has been such a great equalizer between artists and fans because everyone is just in their rooms at their homes she wanted to make sure it felt that way and you know 100 fans for each show it could feel intimate and it could feel appropriate to the space that they've all been comfortable with via her instagram that's what people know and i think all those things considered sort of made this span of six shows that we did 
have a certain energy to them that I think is really tough to capture in a Zoom virtual tour format. But I think that's just a testament to her as an artist and the brand and audience that she's been able to really effortlessly build and the connection she's been able to build because there's nothing more important to her than that relationship with the fans and making sure that they're a part of it every step of the way. Yeah, I mean, with Gracie, it's exactly as Chris just said. We're so fortunate that she's an artist that understands who she is as a human being and how it relates to the art that she makes. Well, even though this was a first for Chris, JJ, and Gracie in terms of tour, Gracie's been a natural performer since day one, and she's casting a spell on audiences left and right. And that bedroom show tour gave her experience necessary for the big leagues. On the day of our interview, she was up to guest on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Tonight! You guys have The Tonight Show with Gracie. How does that feel? Another result of a big moment in a weird time. And it's interesting that Gracie's definitely, I'm sure she never would have thought that any of these moments would have happened like this. But again, she's in the comfort of her own space and we're rolling with the punches. But grateful for all of them. Thank you for tuning in. Shout out to Tony Rodriguez for all the music you heard in this podcast. Huge thanks to our Professor Jay for this opportunity. Thank you to my phenomenal guests, Chris Hovsepian and JJ Corsini, for being so generous with their time and advice. You two are the absolute coolest. And finally, thanks for listening. I had a ton of fun, and I hope you did too. Thanks for hanging with me. That concludes season one of our podcast, Drop the Mic, Music Industry Conversations. Thank you to our guests for spending their time with us and sharing their experiences with artists and streaming. We'd also like to thank Tony Rodriguez for composing this season's theme music. We're the Stanford students that help put this podcast together. To hear all our episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay up to date with everything we're working on, including a playlist that features all our musical guests from season one and our social media accounts. Check out our website at dropthemiccast.com. This has been Drop the Mic. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for more great work from Stanford's music industry students.